Well, people are continuing to come on in. We uh, have a really, really great way to start the service this morning. So uh, first two songs, uh, the way I would describe them, they are dripping with hope. They're just dripping with hope. And the first song in particular, it's new to you. And I know sometimes with new songs, you're like, I don't know that one yet. This is one of those that once you get to know it, you're going to be like, I wish we'd do that every week. So you might even find your hands tempted to clap. I, I, I would love to. I am always offbeat. So if somebody else wants to get going, I'll join you. I'm just not good to find the beep. So this is going to be good stuff. Let's sing. Stand up. anticipation longing, hoping, waiting, wondering it's with great anticipation we await the promise to come we're waiting God everything, everything you have spoken will come to pass let it be done, let it be done we pray Father God, some of us walk into this room today and we hear the words of these hopeful songs and we say, I want to live there. That's where I want to be, but where I am right now, I'm in pain. It hurts. It's hopeless. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I pray today that you would help us to realize that you're always calling on us to rely on you, to rely on your character, to find hope in you. Not in what we can see. Not in what we think might happen. Help us to find hope in you, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And Jesus alone. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So it was, a, I don't know, a month ago, maybe a little bit more, that Shelly and I rode, loaded into a car and we headed on down to Abilene to visit uh, Nate and Blake while they were there at school. And uh, we, we went to church with them that Sunday morning uh, to Beltway. And, and while we were there, they played this song, got to know the song, and, and really loved it. And one of the things they did on that day is, is they let us know the story behind the song. There's a story. And I love, I love when, uh, when we know why a song was written, not just that it was written, but what moved it. And, uh, and I want you to see the story today. Now, it's about 10 minutes, which is way longer than we'd normally do for a video. I was tempted to make you some popcorn, but you know, you already got donuts. I mean, I don't know what more you want. So I'd just like you to go ahead and um, pay attention to this, drink it in, in light of what we just sang, in light of what you're going through in your own life. Hear from God. This was a really special Christmas for us. Um, you know, we went out and got our tree and stockings were hung. And then everything changed. We love to do uh, train cake every year together as a family. And Jackson and I were actually doing that, just me and him that day. So it was a super fun, like, mommy-son moment. And we were making the cake. And then that evening, just not long after that, he was just laid out on the floor. I knew this, he's not OK. He needs to go to the hospital. 
And so we rushed him to the ER. He was just like so sick and I could hardly, you know, get him to the hospital. The doctor had called me up and he said, I'm really concerned that he might have E. coli. When I heard that, I thought, oh, psh, that's like one in a million chance. I don't feel like that would be possible. Um, and if it is E. coli, that's treatable. And a lot of times E. coli doesn't, I mean, it's just a terrible sickness and it passes through the system. But in our case, um, he contracted HUS, that, which then developed into kidney failure and to the most severe, um, the most severe case of HUS. The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities and that we had to go to a different children's hospital. And I was thinking, oh, that's going to be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight and you're going to get on a helicopter. We're going to fly him there. I was just flooded with the sense that I might never know my boy growing up to be a man, it might be this week that I lose my son. All of a sudden, his speech starts to slur. He just started not being able to communicate, not being able to respond. In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ and called the neurosurgeon in, they tested him, and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition of me. And at that moment, I thought, I, I'm losing my son. Even if he makes it through this, I don't know if he'll ever know me again. He was just sprawled out on the bed and couldn't respond to anything. He was gone. There's a time when you've said every prayer you can say, and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore. And you haven't slept for weeks. And you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone. The flip side of that is, I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers around the world. Hi, it's Christmas morning, and a lot of you are asking how Jackson's doing. Just want to say thanks for all your prayers and support. It's been overwhelming. Um, it's a really long story, but it's really complicated right now, and we really need a Christmas miracle. They can't get to his blood. Um, there was something supernatural that, that happened that brought the church together. I would pull up social media and I would just read people's prayers in the comments of people all over the world. I've never met them before, but they were just crying out for my son. We were in the brink of life or death and people would be posting comments on our Facebook. We are up praying for you. People posting by the thousands, commenting, and they'd be all over the world. We're in Brazil. My church, whole church is praying for you. I'm in Russia. My little children pray for your son every day. I didn't have any prayers left to say, but I could feel and see and hear the prayers being said on my behalf. Yeah, just, this is a box full of letters and something that we've really treasured. This is the bed that Jackson is laying on. 
And Jesus is healing him. They're in the middle of the world. Well. Jesus, from Mercy, four years old. hooked up to everything. They allowed me just to like hold him in my arms and you could just see the light still in his eyes. And I just remember just standing and declaring over him. He was gonna, he was gonna raise up out of that grave and he was gonna, he was gonna live. We'd get good news and then worse news. It was so up and down. And so we'd go to the hospital and they said they thought he'd be okay. So they sent us home. And then to find out that he's worse than you even thought the first time. And then you're at the hospital and you're thinking, you know, he's gonna get better. And then you find yourself in a helicopter. And then you find yourself in a... <sighs> the head of the PICU came in and said, we have to get we have to get a central line in tonight. They couldn't give him another sedative, so it would be like going in, basically having surgery on a child without any anesthesia. And the doctor took us aside and put us in another room. They took us in a room and explained we had to have this procedure done or we would lose him, but there were so many risks to having the procedure done. <laughs> I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just, like, began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose Jackson. Like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like it's, it's your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song, and I don't know to what extent, but it said his, their community had prayed for Jackson, and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song, and so they just you know, recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone, and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was fighting warfare. And, and it was, wasn't just me. I wasn't alone. I had people <laughs> literally making weapons, writing songs, and sending it to us. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. He started talking again. What did you just paint a picture of? You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again, and that was like amazing. He was asking in the cutest two year old voice, like everything he can imagine that he liked, you know, I want a humbugger, I want a humbugger. 
<laughs> you know? But we were so happy to hear him talking again. From talking with Joel, the tone started to feel like, oh, wow, we, we're coming out of this, I think. Just the shift internally of, like, we made it was incredible. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas, and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. I remember hearing the news that uh, Jackson is coming home, and it was like uh, it was like Christmas. We believe in the power of praise. We've seen a, God do a lot, and I don't know the secret to all of it, but I do know that Jackson is well today, and I can't help but wonder or think that. Uh, that that praise had a part of that. This is part of our story now, and it's part of Jackson's testimony of his life that the world will know that miracles happen. This gospel is not haphazard. It's not a Russian roulette. It's not a guessing game. It is the absolute nature of God revealed through his goodness and his kindness. And what is necessary is for the people of God to rise to the occasion, to face the impossibilities of life with the confidence of God's character, his nature, and his promise. There's no other option. We were called to this. This is our responsibility. It is our privilege. I know a lot of you have probably seen the, the emoji for prayer, this thing, right? The first time I saw it, I wasn't sure if it was a military symbol or a rocket ship. Kind of, I'd love for this to become the new emoji of prayer. Holding out that song, just holding out that song, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I praise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Sometimes we plead and sometimes we praise. But if you caught there at the end, it's all about the character of God. It's all about trusting in who God is. It's all about trusting in his character. It's not just, not just about positive thinking. We're at a positive thinking our way at that. No. It's about the character of God and calling on the character of God and trusting in the character of God. I suspect more than one of you walked up, walked into the room today with a Jackson. You've walked into the room that's with something that's just so heavy. You feel so hopeless. You prayed and prayed and prayed, and there does not seem to be a breakthrough. And to you, I'd say today, keep, keep holding that prayer. Keep talking to the God who is faithful. Don't, don't stop. Don't let go. I'm going to invite you today to uh, come to communion. You have the two tables at the front and the two in the back, two gluten-free options on the side stages here. And as you do, just continue to roll over that, that Jackson in your mind and the way in which you're just going to continue to lift up your pleading and your praising to God, even though the moment may be very dark. Praising over our pain, praising over the things that want to draw our attention away from God. 
how we need to do that. Our servers are coming right now and receiving the offering. Brian, good to see you today. We had a fun time here yesterday. Yeah. You got to do a wedding. That was a blast. That's it was cool. fun to watch you do that. And, and uh, I, was, I was just blown away and amazed at the way so much of the Southfield family came together to, to just be a part of not just celebrating the day, but helping out with the day. I, I tell you, I got more comments throughout the day from people who would just say, it's amazing to watch people jumping in and helping along it's the way. It's wild. I mean, from the setup, you would never believe that there was a wedding here yesterday, especially like in the gym. If you walked in there, you there were so You'll probably many find some of Dora's glitters. Well, you might find yeah. some of that on your pants because yeah. like I said, it, her <laughs> glitters everywhere, uh, which is amazing. Uh, but yeah, we had students showing up to help like put decorations together. Sarah Lakomiak is here like Friday afternoon, at, right after school, helping to, to set up. And then we have people all throughout the day fixing, uh, <laughs> fixing the paper towel dispenser, making sure that snacks are refilled. And then we have students coming back again. So that adults were involved in this too. But we have students coming after all the wedding is done to clean uh, at like 11 o'clock at night. It's, a, it's just, this yeah. family's amazing. Yeah, I it's know. Really the cool. Krugers are so grateful. Yeah. And I and I'm just, I'm really grateful for all of you, the way you really uh, pitch in and, and serve each other. It was just beautiful. I so. am a little disappointed that uh, Chad and Katie are now on their way to Jamaica, and we're here in this <laughs> mess, but whatever. Yes, I get it. Why didn't they not take us along? What's that all about? You got a couple of uh, events coming up in the next month that require some uh, special kinds of donations. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, we've got about 120 people going to Green Lake this year total, which is amazing. It's really cool. Really excited about it. But one way that we were able to keep costs down and have some control over timing of meals and stuff like that as to, instead of going to the dining hall, serve our own breakfast. So if you would like to help us in that way, help support that, uh, we are looking for donations of any kind of breakfasty food. That includes the Nutrigrain bars, trail mix, uh, the individual serve um, Kellogg's like cereal bowls, anything that you think could uh, be a bit of sustenance there in the morning for our kids before they go off to work for several hours uh, would be really helpful. We're looking for any donation like that to be turned into the welcome desk by June 2nd. Mm -hmm. There was something about camp, too. For camp, there were donations for breakfast, too. So, yeah. Yeah, for the, for the adult leaders. So yep, so any, any donation <clears throat> for, like, those little breakfast food-type yeah. snacks. Yeah, yeah both, both are in that. the folder today. Yeah. So before you sit down, um, I guess the surprise is gone. Uh, you, you already saw the first service. Part of the problem with having a first service is that, you know, it blows surprises. But anyway, yeah. um, so last week, uh, in, in one of the services, I mentioned that Kim had been in in uh, Springfield, and she was with her cousin, and they were looking at family pictures, and there was one family picture in particular that, that showed me off at a, at a much more slender stage of life, and, uh, and I showed Shelly the picture later in the day, and she's like, you've got to show that picture next week. you just got to show it. So, so here's the image. Here's the image, and uh, yeah, that's me there in the middle, if you can believe it, but, but you know, while Shelly liked the whole show him skinny, there were other things she wanted you to see. For example, her, her aunt there who looks just absolutely blurry-eyed with all those kids, her mom with the really big hair, or how cute she is sitting on her lap. But of course, what did she zero in on the most? What does she want all of you to see? Brian doing his version of Publisher's Clearinghouse there. Three fingers is, deep. Uh, I mean, that's impressive. He is going to town just, on that nose. There must I have been a nasty one. What was in there? Wow. Speaking of booger pickers, uh, <laughs> our fifth graders are going to be joining Refuge here coming up. 
Really excited about that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we had the next picture that showed you. I know. Anyway. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's all about protein. All about protein. There you go. But okay. I do want to lay out, May 29th, our fifth graders are going to be joining Refuge. So that Wednesday night, they do get one night of Refuge before we go off to Green Lake. And the eighth, so eighth graders will still be with us, or the soon-to-be freshmen will still be with us on that night. And then they join Revive for one week on June 2nd. So Very hopefully, good. yeah. A lot of picking, a lot of flicking will be happening on those awesome. nights. It'll thank be a lot you, of fun. thank you, thank you so much. So, you know, you look at the Bible, and there, there are a lot of verses that I think we look at, and we, we're like, how are we supposed to understand that? What does that say? What does that mean? And then there are verses that we look at, and we can see, got a pretty good idea of what it means. We just look at it and go, that's kind of a hard one to live. One of them, for example, is Philippians 4, 6 to 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, just look at that first line again. Do not be anxious about anything. In the Greek, anything means anything. That's why I paid for Greek, to be able to come up with profound insights like that. Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. He's saying, you're not going to get it. You're just not going to, you're going to be blown away. It's not that the problem's going to go away, not that the issue's going to go away, but there is going to be a peace that comes over you that just does not make sense. Why am I so good right now when everything is so bad right now? I don't get it. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and it will guide your mind, guard your mind in Christ Jesus. In those moments, God is going to do something just amazing. When you're having those, those Jackson moments we can still be in a state of not being anxious about anything. But through prayer and petition and praise, bringing everything, absolutely everything, to God. Lord God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to be able to live out the truth of this verse. I pray that we would not just read it and go, that's nice for someone else. But that you would bring us in our worries, our concerns, our anxieties, to a place of being able to trust in you so completely that even though the source of fear has not gone away, peace has come over us that we cannot explain. This we raise to you, Lord. Amen. The history of the Old Testament record shows stories of two radically different kings. Kings that handled basically the same situation in very different ways. One king is named Ahaz, and the other is King Hezekiah. And both are kings of Judah, that, that little nation that remained after the civil war in Israel. Ten tribes to the north, two to the south. Here you have Judah, just little Judah. It, it, it was so small that any, any military could have come in and, and squashed it in a second. But God was in their side. God was protecting them all the time. God invites us into a relationship, every one of us, into a relationship based on trust. Though we live in a world that can cause great fear, great anxiety, we can, just, we can feel that sort of pressure, that sort of stress, God invites us to a place of radical trust in him. That's his plan for all of us as Christ followers. Through the example of Ahaz, we learn the folly of fear. We learn what happens when we decide to follow our fears instead of following after God. And through Hezekiah, we learn the pathway of trust. Now, if you've done the Old Testament reading or you've read it before, you know that all the nations around Canaan, there's just Canaan, there's this, there's this constant 
turmoil going on. And nation after nation is just battling, whether it's Egypt coming up from the south or Assyria coming in. All the time there's this attacking going on. There's empire building taking place. One little nation wants to become a big nation, and so they go in and take over someone else. And part of the reason for empire, that, that you'd take somebody over when you were building your empire, was cash. It took money to run an empire. And so they'd come in, and they'd take over another nation, and they'd try to leave it as intact as possible. Sometimes they'd take people from that nation, bring them to their place, use them as laborers. They'd take people from their place, put them over there in order to bring stability. But then they, they would go ahead and just start taxing these people. They would tax them. They would do everything they could to get money from them to go ahead and continue to build their empire. The empire on the rise at that time was Assyria. Now, this is going to get a little confusing today because we have Assyria and we have Syria. And they're two different nations, all right? Both Syria and Assyria are dreadfully wicked. But Assyria is the larger nation right now coming in and taking over everybody else. At this time in the Bible, Syria is referred to as Aram. So you get that in there too. All kinds of names flying around. Just remember, Assyria, big bad nation coming to take over Syria. They want to take over Syria. They want to take over Israel, the tribes to the north. And they want to take over Judah, the tribes to the south. So what happens is Syria and Israel are afraid of Assyria coming in and sweeping them up. And so they join together. They think in joining together, they'll be powerful enough to defeat anything that comes at them. And then they come to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and they say, we want you to join in alliance with us. Between our three nations together, we should be able to go ahead and fight Assyria pretty effectively. Ahaz is a pretty smart guy. He's a pretty smart guy. This, this offer comes to him and he's like, here's the problem with your theory. If I align with you, Assyria is going to know that I'm with you. Your nation is small. Your nation is small. My nation is smaller. We're going to get squished like a bug. He says, I, I don't want to join up with you. I would rather go straight to Assyria and say, I give. I surrender Take what you want, do what you want. We will be your slaves. We will be your vassals. We'll give you all the taxation you want. Don't worry about us. We're not going to be a problem for you. So what happens then is Syria and Israel aligned together say, fine, here's what we're going to do. If you won't fight willingly with us, we'll fight you. We'll take you over. We will force you to join forces with us. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2 says the news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. They're coming. They're going to take us over. It says, so the hearts of the king and his people were trembling with fear like trees shaken in a storm. What a vivid picture. What a beautiful picture. There they are. They're just quaking. They are fearful. There's anxiety. There's, there's a wind blowing through the forest and they are shaking in their boots. They're just absolutely terrified. And so the question that we have to ask is, what are Ahaz and Judah going to do in their, in their hour of desperation? Now not only is massive Assyria coming to take them over, but their two neighbors want to fight them as well. What are they going to do in their moment of desperation? They know Assyria is way too powerful to handle. What are they going to do? Where are they going to turn? Isaiah the prophet knows 
the temptation of Ahaz. He knows that Ahaz is tempted to just lie with Assyria and give in. I'm, I'm just going to be, I'm going to enter an alliance. I, I, trust, I trust this alliance. I trust this political alliance. I trust this military alliance. This is what I'm going to do. But God didn't want them to do this. He didn't want them to unite with others. He wanted them to simply trust him. You trust me, I'll take care of you. I promise I'll take care of you. To Ahaz, forming an alliance seemed like a great idea. Problem is, it was not God's plan. This isn't what God wanted. God was about to bring judgment on those other nations because of their wickedness, their idolatry, their corruption, their violence, their paganism. He does not want Judah to enter into alliance with any of them. He wants his people to just place their trust in him. Are you willing to just trust me, God says? God knows Ahaz is fearful and he is weak. And so he sends out a message of encouragement to Ahaz. He says to Isaiah, this is what I want you to tell him. Tell him to stop worrying. He says, read Philippians 4 to him, even though it's not written yet. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burnt out emperors. Another way of saying it in other translations, those old two burned out stumps. He says, they are not the towering trees you think they are. They're already, they're already chopped down. They're already smoldering. There's nothing left to worry about. He says, this is what's going to happen. There will be, they will never invade you. No, just the opposite. Syria is going down. Israel is going down. You don't have to worry about them at all. What you need to do is trust me. Just trust me. And he ends the passage by saying, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Here's what he's saying. God's saying, I can't trust for you. I am trustworthy. You can trust in me, but I cannot trust for you. You have to choose to trust in me. God wants Ahaz to take heart. These two kings are threatening him. Assyria is, is out there. He feels the threat from that, but he says, they are stubs of firewood. Don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Their bark is bigger than their bite. They may threaten, but it's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow it to happen. Look again at, at chapter 7, verse 9. That, this verse, it's a verse we can take with us. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God says, I'm looking for you to be a person who stands in your faith, but I can't have faith for you, God says. Faith in me is something you have to have. You have to express faith in me. God is speaking to Ahaz. He's trying to fortify his faith. He's doing everything he can. He's sending his messages. He even says, here's what I'd love to do for you. I want to give you a sign. I want to give you a sign that you will not fall if you trust me. I, I'm, I'm going to do that for you. I'll do, I'll do everything for you that is possible. And, and it's interesting, in the asking him, do you want a sign, Ahaz responds and says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Now you look at that verse and you think, wow, Ahaz, he's a, he's a pretty spiritual guy. You know, in the Old Testament, God does not very often ask people, do you want a sign? People ask for a sign, but it is seldom that God says, do you want a sign? I'll give you one. I'll, I'll, I'll bolster your faith that way if you'll just ask. Ahaz says, I don't want a sign. And you're looking at it thinking, what a spiritual guy. But what you have here really is a thin veneer of piety and spirituality. Here's the problem Ahaz has. If God gives him a sign, now he has to trust God. Now he has to believe God. 
I mean, if God gives him a sign and he says, yeah, I still don't trust you, that's going to look bad. So he says, I'd rather not have a sign. It's kind of like in our lives when we want to do something and we know what the Bible says and someone starts telling us the Bible says and we go, no, 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 I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Not hearing it doesn't make it not true, right? It's still truth. It's still truth. But sometimes we'll say, I just don't want to hear it. He was saying, I don't want a sign. If, if I get a sign, my options will be limited. I'll either have to trust God or I'll have to disobey God and trust Assyria instead. Ahaz reveals something deeply rooted in human nature. While we like to do the right thing, we also like to keep our options open. We, we like to have our Assyrian option out there. We like to say, I love trusting God, but if I think that's not going to come through, I'm going to go ahead and have my Assyrian option out here, and I'm going to exercise my option. God wants to reveal his presence and power invite us, and invite us into a life of full devotion. But we tend to prefer a, a convenient and limited level of devotion that allows us to keep our options open just in case. Isaiah goes to incredible lengths to help Ahaz turn from his faith and learn how to trust. Ahaz has every opportunity to limit his options and surrender to the will of God in the same way God invites us to the same thing. I don't want you to go after your options. I just want you to trust me. Taking this step can look really different for each of us who are seeking full devotion to God. Now, the next thing, God goes even further. He wants to give him another sign. He says, Isaiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of poster board. Why don't you get out your marker? And I want you to write down a word. Look at this word. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I want you to just write Maher Shalal Hashbaz on a, on a big old board, on a sign board. And you're looking at it and going, wow, that is a weird word. What's that about? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it on the board. I want you to go home. I want you to have a baby. And when you have the baby, this is the baby's name. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Fun name. It's got so many, you know, so many nicknames in there. You could call the kid Baz. You could call him Ma. You could call him Shalal. You could call him Hash. I mean, all kinds of play going on in there. But that's not really the issue. The, the issue is, he says, I want you to name the child this name. I want him to get this message. He says, before that baby is able to say Mama or Papa, before, before Dada comes out of that child's mouth, the nations he's worried about are going to be no more. The nations he's worried about are going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. God assures Ahaz that Judah will be safe. He wants to calm his fears. He says, you can trust me. I promise you, you can trust me. And what does Ahaz do? He sends a messenger off to the king of Assyria and says, I am your servant and your vassal. He exercises his option. He says, I don't know that I can trust God to protect me. I don't know that I can trust God to protect this nation. And so he goes ahead and allies himself with the king of Assyria instead. And this begins a long slide deeper and deeper into sin for Ahaz. By the end of his life, he builds altars throughout Judah to the Assyrian gods. He leads Israel into idolatry. And imagine this. He actually takes his own son places him on an altar, stabs him in the heart and burns him to a false god of stone. He's gone from not being willing to trust in the living Jehovah God who brought the people through the sea on dry ground to offering his child on an altar 
to a God of stone. He has compromised and compromised in ways that I'm sure he never dreamed. Do you think, do you honestly think Ahaz planned to end his life this way? Do you think he planned early on, someday I'm going to murder my son, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice his freedom, I'm going to mislead the people, I'm going to betray my God. No one chooses to shipwreck their faith. But I'll tell you what, fear, fear can be the deciding factor for a lot of us. Fear led Ahaz into a process of compromising that caused him pain and loss beyond description. Fear. Fear makes people selfish, impulsive, foolish, and untrusting. It makes them desperate. It dries up our ability to have compassion and to be honest. Once a human being is afraid, we truly do not know what they will do. Sometimes we hear a voice inside that says, you can't handle this. You can't handle this. You can't do this. Even with God's help, you won't be strong enough to make it. When we hear that voice speaking in our hearts, here's what we need to know. That is not the voice of God. And so I ask you today, as, as you look at your own area of fear in your life today, the area that you're looking, you're looking for ways out. And, and you know God could help, but you're like, but, but I, need, I need to keep my options open. What's your Assyrian solution? What's the area that, that you're doing it more the world's way than God's way? Or you're tempted to do it more the world's way than God's way because you don't believe you can trust God to come through the way God said he will come through. In Isaiah 36, we read this other king, Hezekiah, and we discover another way to live. We discover the right way to live. This story takes place several decades after Ahaz was king of Judah. The northern kingdom is no more, just like God said. Burning stump, it's gone, it's no more by the time Hezekiah is king. But Assyria is still out there, still out there. Very powerful nation, and they're still on the march. They're still looking to take over other nations. And so here's what happens. The king of Assyria sends a servant on over to Jerusalem to deliver a message, a threatening message. And if you can get this image in your mind, the king of Israel, or the king of Judah, Hezekiah, and all the people are lined up on the wall of Jerusalem looking down. And there's this, there's this chief of staff of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And this is their negotiation. They're, they're not in a back room somewhere having a conversation. This isn't happening in writing. You've actually got a guy down here screaming up the terms. He's basically saying, this is what you need to do. This is what surrender needs to look like or else. And they're going up and back with this. You have, you have this negotiation going on between the two. And as it's going on, the, 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 um, the chief of staff is saying things that, that are just, they're just absolutely frightening all the people who are listening. Isaiah 36, 10 says, what's more? Do you think that... What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? Have we actually done this without, without God, without, without asking God for help? They're, they're really confused. They're like, what in the world? What are you talking about? God is helping you in this? They, they, ask, the, they ask the people, hey, do you really think Hezekiah is a good king? Do you really think he's a good guy? 
I, I wonder if he's really a good guy. You see, we've heard news that he's gone through the whole nation and he's torn down shrines and altars to the living God. He sh- Do you really think the God of Israel is on your side right now? The God of Judah is on your side? Do you think Jehovah is on your side when Hezekiah has gone around ripping down all of these altars? It's funny what we don't understand here. At first, we're reading this verse, and we're like, this is a confusing verse. What we don't understand here is that Assyria has gotten some bad intel. It's true that Hezekiah had gone down, ripping down altars, ripping down shrines, but they were the shrines and altars of false gods. But all of this is just, it's bringing the people to great worry. And there comes a point in the negotiation that the, that the king and the people on the top of the wall scream down to the guy at the bottom of the wall and say, would you, would you mind speaking in Aramaic? That was the official language of negotiation at that time. Would you mind speaking in Aramaic? He wanted them to speak in Aramaic so that the people couldn't hear what was going on because the people are starting to get very fearful as this thing unfolds. They're saying, let's make this negotiation private. Let's let's do this in a way that the people aren't hearing. In verse 12, it says, But Sennacherib's chief of staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only for you and your master? He wants all of the people to hear it. For when this city is under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. The field commander says, I want them to hear it in their their own language. They need to hear this because they need to know if they defy the king of Assyria, they're going to have problems. It's going to come to a point that they are going to be eating their own dung, drinking their own urine, and he's not being figurative here. This was part of a method of battle in that time. Instead of going in and destroying a city and killing the people, you just encircle it and don't allow food in or out. Don't allow supplies in or out. It may take a year, but in time the people would give in due to starvation. This is just raising greater and greater fear in the heart of people. They are gripped by fear. They're wondering if Hezekiah is telling them the truth. They don't know what to think. And it starts, it starts to erode their unity. And that's what happens when we're fearful. As a family, as a community, fear starts to erode our, our trust in each other. We're, they're going through this. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. But here's the good news. Hezekiah listens to and follows the advice of Isaiah. He listens to truth. He doesn't surrender to Assyria. He stands firm in his faith. No matter what the odds might be, no matter the threats, no matter the possible repercussions, no matter what, Hezekiah commits to follow God and to not follow his own human inclinations. What happens then is the word of what Hezekiah has decided gets back to Assyria. It gets back to Sennacherib. He hears that Hezekiah will not give in. And this very powerful king is not happy about this. Now you got to remember, it takes a while to get news up and back in those days. No telegraphs, no phone, no email. So it's quite a while that people are waiting to hear how Sennacherib will respond. And a letter arrives. A letter arrives. Chapter 37, verse 10. This message is for the king, King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well 
what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone that stood in their way. Why should you be any different? And then the king runs through a laundry list of nations that they have taken out. Nations that were bigger. Nations that were stronger. And he's basically building the defense and saying, you don't want to go here. I am going to completely destroy you and your puny nation. I've done it before. I do it again. Humanly speaking, by the way, Snagrib is right. He's way more powerful. Their nation is way more powerful. The battle between Judah and Assyria, it's no contest. It'll be over so quickly. What do you do when you get a letter from the most powerful and bloodthirsty ruler in the world and he wants you to know he's going to be dropping in for a visit? What do you do when you get the worst news of your life? Where do you turn when fear is standing on your front doorstep? The example of Hezekiah at this moment stands as a beacon for all of us to follow who want to love and trust God with full devotion. Verse 14 says, After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. He takes this threatening letter on up to the place of worship, and he just lays it there on the floor before, before the ark, before the Lord God. He just lays it there. It says, Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. He says, bend down, bend down. Listen to me, hear me. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. I love where Hezekiah is in his relationship with God. He doesn't say, we're about to get pounded. Would you help us out? He says, do you know what they're doing? They're saying you're weak. They're saying you can't handle it. They're saying you can't defend your own nation. He says, it is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed these nations and they have thrown down the gods of these nations into fires and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians, they could destroy them. They weren't real gods at all. They were, they were idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. But now, O oh Lord God, rescue us from his power Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone are God. This is a chance, God, to demonstrate your tremendous power. He takes this letter and he just spreads it out before the Lord. Let's God see the written words. He seeks the face of God in prayer. And the Bible tells him God hears him. And in response, he sends a message from God to Hezekiah. He assures him that his prayers have been answered, that he's heard the threats, and they're not going to come to pass. And so here's really the question each of us need to answer today. What do you need to spread out before the Lord? What has you gripped by fear right now that, that causes you to want to exercise your Assyrian option instead of simply trusting in God? In what, in what areas you're saying, you know, God's great for church on Sunday, but I live a real life. And I need real life solutions. This prayer stuff is nice. If you don't have a real problem but I have real problems. What do you need to spread out before the Lord? Each of us gets letters from Assyria. We get letters from Sennacherib in many forms. 
It's anything, anything that causes us a level of anxiety that tempts us to follow after our fears. It's a piece of bad news that makes us so anxious that we feel like we can't live for God. It's a threat of a person that robs us of trust and confidence that God will deliver. It's anything that unleashes our fear. Maybe it's a piece of paper from work that says, your services are no longer required. Thanks so much. Maybe it's a test at school as this year comes to an end and you're wondering, okay, am I going to graduate or not? Maybe it's a note from your bank with bad news, a looming cloud of financial concerns. Maybe it's a word from the doctor with a really bad diagnosis. Letter from your kid's teacher about one of your children. Uh, a word of rejection, deep rejection from someone you love deeply and they don't love you anymore. An email that's cut you deeply, a painful letter from a lawyer's office, a deeply rooted anxiety that rules your heart. Hezekiah takes the worst news he's ever received and spreads it out before the Lord. And in response, God hears and God answers. Like Hezekiah, we need to bring our, our fear-producing, anxiety-building concerns before the Lord in prayer. We lay them before him. We place our trust in God rather than being ruled and driven by fear. Now you got to see how this ends. Read, read in verse 36. That night the angel of the Lord, one angel, all right? The angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to the capital of Nineveh and stayed there and ultimately gets killed by his own children. And it is at this point that the nation of Israel or the nation of Assyria begins its decline and it's never the same after that confrontation with the angel of God. This would never have happened if he'd have chosen to exercise his Assyrian option instead of trusting in the Lord, his God. God wants us to avoid the pitfalls of Ahaz. We don't have to live under the tyranny of fear and anxiety. We're called to live lives of trust and faith. That's how God wants us to live when we face times of anxiety and fear. The single most important activity we can enter into is prayer. Like Hezekiah, we can come to God and spread out our needs before him. We can admit our anxiety. We can admit our confusion. We can admit our need for him to deliver us and help us. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. Praise him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Give me two more minutes. So we've heard this morning of a man who took a song and played it over his son, and his son is now alive and healthy. We've heard of a man who entered the temple and laid out the letter. He said, look, God, look at the threats. And we might be tempted to see either of them as kind of magic tricks. All I've got to do is 
play this song seven times and everything will be okay. All I've got to do is find the right church altar and get my letter out there and everything will be okay. We went through this passage in the early 2000s. I had a really good friend. She got a diagnosis from the hospital from Northwestern. A diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And I saw her one day come into the church and go toward the front of the church and took papers and she laid them out there in front of where we sing and we preach. I went back a little later. I could see the diagnosis sitting there. It sat there all week long. And a few months later, I was at her funeral. And you might think, why? Why talk about these letters? I talk about these songs. They don't always work. <laughs> I don't think we really get it. It's not about always getting what we want. It's about growing in our trust in our relationship with God. I promise you this. Carol's been in heaven for about 15 years today. She wanted to be here. Her husband was a year from retiring. She wanted to be at her daughter's wedding. She wanted to see her grandkids. But I suspect if we could have a conversation with her today and say, you want to come back? She'd say, no, thank you. I love where I am. And you'll be here soon. Sometimes the thing we want so much is not so much about getting the thing we want as it is about growing our trust more deeply in God. And that's the better thing. So please... Don't think today that I'm saying all you got to do is play this song seven times and you'll get every wish. God has a much greater wish for you. His wish is for you to grow in full devotion to him, not to get everything you want all the time. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would grow in each of us radical trust. Not a, not a, a dominant domination by fear that causes us to constantly be looking for our Syrian option, but such a radical trust that we know you could send angels right now and destroy the enemy army if you chose. And I choose, we choose to trust you. We choose to trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll see you next week. <laughs>